good morning. Um, yeah, I'm just really honored to bring you the word of God today. Um, yeah, I think, you know, honestly, um, my heart's been very heavy. My heart's been very heavy with things that have been happening. And I know, you know, I, uh, I want church to be a place that you're encouraged and that we are happy, and we are. But I think also at the same time, this is why I struggle in my heart, is that there's also a reality of what's happening right now. And I don't want us to be, I don't want us to not be in touch with reality, if that makes sense. I want to tell you, church, there's a time to rejoice, but there's also a time to mourn. There's a time to celebrate, and then there's a time to go to work, if you know what I mean. And I feel like right now, in this season, the Lord is asking us to do the latter. And so I'm not trying to say that there's nothing to celebrate. There is. But at the same time, I think the Lord has been making it very clear that there is much on his heart, especially concerning our nation. And I want you to know, um, it's, it, it is because of what's been happening recently. Um, you know, the attacks on Asians, especially on elderly Asian and actually elderly Asian women. And I think that I want you to know that I'm not here to talk about a particular, like specific, like, oh, this is about that problem. It's bigger than that. You know, ever since George Floyd, God has been putting his finger on probably the biggest problem in our nation. And you know, I want you to know that actually in a very strange way, this is a blessing. Because I want you to know that what's been happening is not new. I want you to know that all the things that have been, it's just that now the things have been coming to light. Yeah. But this is not new, church. The, the hate and the racism that's very ingrained in just the way that our nation is run and that it's just accepted or that it's ignored is not new. Yeah. It's just that now the light of Jesus and the grace of God, he's putting his finger on it. Right. And he's actually bringing it to the mainstream so that you and I can see it. And that's a, that's a blessing because now no one can say, I didn't know, I didn't see, we all know. And so now I know in many of our hearts, the question has become, what do we do now? Like, what do I do? I'm just one person, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just me. Like, what do I do? I know the problem is there, what do I do? And I've been praying and praying and praying and asking the Lord, to give us a word from him. And there's so many voices on this right now, guys. There's so many people, you just go online, you go on Instagram, you go on Twitter. There's so many people that want to tell you what to do, what you should do. Right. I don't want to go there first. And I'm not saying that those people aren't, they're probably way smarter than me about public health, about pu public policy, about civil reform. I'm not saying they're not they're not wise, and I'm not saying that they're not helpful, but what I'm saying is the first voice we must go to is Jesus. We must go to him first and ask him, Jesus, what would you have me do? And then see if what those other helpful people are asking of us, if that falls in line with what Jesus is asking us to do. And so this morning, I want us to look very carefully at the scriptures because this is what's needed right now, guys. We have to look at what Jesus did because I want you to know something. This is not a new problem in humanity in general. Jesus, in his time, the Israelites were being oppressed. They were being oppressed and actually controlled by another empire. So even the freedom that we have in America, and I know it's not perfect, 
But even the freedom that we have right now in America was not something that they had. So if we're talking about Jesus literally living in a situation that's very similar to ours, there is similarity. That his people were being oppressed. That there is a sort of oppression or injustice that's being poured out on Israelites compared to Romans. And so we need to look very carefully because Jesus lived in a time when people were crying out for justice also. This is not new. Jesus understood. But the way that Jesus held himself and his ministry was very important because he could have done a lot of things, but he chose to do very specifically what the Father asked him to do. And we must listen very carefully to what Jesus did and what he did not do. All right, so I think, I just want us to pray right now before we, read the, before we read the word of God. So Spirit of God, I ask that you would come right now, that you would be with us, because right now, this is a very complex, a very confusing, a very daunting, a very scary topic to talk about, but also, it's a very divisive topic. It's also a very, it's also a very convoluted topic because there's so many voices that would say you should do this, you should do that, you should do this, you should do that. God, we ask for clarity of the Spirit right now, that Holy Spirit, you would be the only one speaking in this moment, that we choose to ignore every other voice, even if it's a good voice, but it is not your voice. I'm not differentiating between good and bad. I'm differentiating between the Father's voice and every other voice. And the only voice that we wanna hear right now is your voice, Jesus. And so, God, we ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would bring clarity right now in this moment, that you would direct the steps of your people. How would you have us respond? How would you have us as your church, as your sons and daughters, respond in a nation that needs you and in a moment when people are hurting? So, Lord, we ask that you would give us clarity and wisdom. Holy Spirit, would you speak through your word in a mighty way right now? And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I want to go to Matthew 25, if you have your Bible with you. If not, it's okay. I will read to you with my lovely voice. Why are you all laughing? That's messed up. That's, you see that? That's messed up. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so let's begin. It's Matthew 25, and it's going to be verse 31. And maybe you've heard this story before, but I know a lot of times when we hear stories we've heard before, that's what we miss the most. I want you to listen carefully. Listen carefully with new eyes and new ears because the word of God is always being renewed and being refreshed so that we can hear it again and again and again. It's living and breathing, all right? So this is Jesus and what they call the parable of the sheep and goats or the parable of the last days. And so this is Jesus speaking. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick in prison and you did not visit me. Then, he, then they will also answer, Lord, when did we not, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now I know that's a lot. And I don't want you to get caught up in the punishment and the reward just yet. I want us to look up very carefully what Jesus said. And so the first and most important word in this entire verse is who is Jesus talking about when he says the least of these? So the first thing that I want us to look at is to whom is God asking us to respond to? So I, and I want to make this very clear. God is asking us to respond to a person. Okay, he's not asking us to respond necessarily, and I'm gonna to get to it later, but he's not asking us to respond to a public policy. He's not asking us to respond to, to what's happening in a system or in terms of, 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 of civil or judicial or political or executive. He's asking us first and foremost to respond to people. What Jesus is saying is that, guys, what is most important to me is people over policy is people over government, is people over systems. And I'm not trying to say that those things are not important. Don't, don't misunderstand that. That's when the enemy wants to come in and say, oh, see, the church doesn't care about this. The church doesn't care about that. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is Jesus is saying what is most important. What is most important are people. And it's people who are hurting and it's people who are in need. That is what is utmost important. So if you spend all your time doing anything, can I challenge you to consider what is more important? Is it people or is it public policy? And again, I'm not trying to say it's not important, but is it weighted properly? What is most important? And so I want you to look at what was Jesus asking them to do? And he gave five specific things. He talked about food and water and nakedness. But do you also see there was other needs that he talked about? He said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. Do you see what he's asking? He's saying it's not just meeting people's physical needs. He's saying, what about their relational needs? He's saying someone is a stranger and you welcomed me in. That's belonging. He's saying, do you offer belonging to people who need it? He said, I was sick and you visited me. Do you offer compassion? to those who are hurting. And then he said, I was in prison and you visited me. Do we go to those who are alone, who are discouraged, who need support, who need someone to stand by them? He's saying, do you come and bring your presence and sit beside those who are alone? Do you see that Jesus is not just talking about physical needs, he's talking about physical, emotional, and relational needs, guys. And I want you to know, these are not just specific examples. That's not what Jesus is doing. This is a parable. It's actually poetic. What he's saying is he's trying to paint a holistic picture. 
He's saying, I don't want you just to care about one part of a person. I want you to care about every part of a person. It's not just about food. It's not just about water. It's not just about clothes. Those are important. But it's more than that. When you look at anyone hurting, anyone hurting in any way, can you meet any of their needs? That's what he's trying to say. He's saying, look holistically at a person because that's what I look at. That's what's important to me. I care about every part of my children, every part of them. Every part of them is important. And so we need to get to the word, the least of these. Who is he talking about? I want you to be ready because this part's going to be hard, okay? In the Greek, least is, is alakistos. And you could figure out what that really means. It's easy, right? The first definition is usually referring to someone of very low status, right? Very, very small status. But actually, it, it means more than that. It's not just status, but actually it, it means significance of little significance, of little importance. And you realize that that word was used very specifically because Jesus could have used any other word. You know, anywhere else in the Bible, he talks about helping the poor and the widows and the orphans. He didn't use that, right? He used a specific word to say the least. And I want you to know why did he do that? There's a reason why he did that. Because he wants it to be something that you think about. That it's relative to you. Who in your eyes is the least? Who in your eyes do you think is not that important? Who in your eyes do you think is not significant? Because you know what happens when you see and label somebody as little and insignificant? You think that their needs are also not important. Wow. You immediately think, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're not important to me. Right. And guys, for Jesus' time, it was a very specific group of people, yeah? Jesus modeled this in his, in his ministry, and this is how I know this is what he's talking about. Because he chose very specifically in his ministry to reach out to the people that he knew in his time, people did not think that they were important. He said, let the little children come to me. Do you remember that story? When the children were trying to run to Jesus and the disciples stopped them, but Jesus said, no, let them come to me. Because in that time, children were not important. And secondly, did you know that Jesus had the largest following of women ever at that time? From any religious leader, from any rabbi. He welcomed women into his ministry and they were a huge part of his support. He welcomed them in, do you know why? because no one in that time thought women were significant. Do you know who else he went after? He went after the poor and the, and, and the marginalized and the orphans. He went to a no-name town called Nain. No one even knows where Nain is. He went all the way out there to go to a funeral of the son of a widow. The son of a widow. Widows were so insignificant because they had no power. They had no future. They had no inheritance. They had no way to survive. Her only way was her son. Jesus went all the way to a town called Nain to go to one person's funeral, to walk up to that casket, to look at that mother and say, don't cry any longer. And he touched that casket and her son came back to life. That's what Jesus does. He goes to the least and says, you are important to me. You are important to me. Even though no one else cares, even though you think there's no one at that funeral, I can't even imagine how many people would even show up at a widow's funeral in Nain. But Jesus showed up. The Son of God showed up. So I ask you today, church, who do you think is unimportant? And I can't answer that question for you. But you know, honestly, 
We're all guilty of it. And I'm going to take it one step further. Jesus asked us on his Sermon on the Mount to love our enemies. Do you know who else we think is unimportant and insignificant? Is definitely our enemies. They're not even on my radar. I would never think about the needs of my enemy. Ever. That's not important to me. You're not important to my life. You're not important to who I am. You're not important to where I'm going. You're insignificant to me. I need to stay as far away as I can from you. But guys, you realize that's not what Jesus said. And I can prove it to you by his actions. Do you know who Jesus welcomed? He welcomed tax collectors. Do you know who tax collectors were? Tax collectors were considered traitors by their own people. Do you know why? Because they worked for the Roman government. And on top of working for the enemy, they actually overtaxed their own people so that they could be rich. And do you know who Jesus asked to be even one of his own disciples? A traitor, a tax collector named Levi. Someone that people would say, that's our enemy, Jesus. He's our enemy. He's with the Romans. He's oppressing us along with them. I'll take it even one step further. Did you know that story where the woman washes Jesus' feet with perfume in her tears and her hair? Do you know whose house he was actually sitting in at that moment? It was Simon the Pharisee. If you know anything about the Bible, Jesus and the Pharisees are not friends. <laughs> Did you know that the Pharisees are the ones who plotted and ended up killing Jesus? And yet he ate at one of their houses. That's not his friend. That was an enemy to him. Or at least they saw Jesus as an enemy. And one more. There was a centurion. Do you remember this story? A centurion had a servant who was sick and dying. And so he sent another servant to Jesus saying, please come. And when Jesus was still far off, the centurion said, Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. If you say the word, he will be healed. And Jesus said, wow, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. Jesus was only amazed by faith one time, and it was from him. But he wasn't even an Israelite. Do you know what a centurion is? A centurion is a Roman soldier. The very ones who were the, if you will, the instrument of the oppression of the people. And yet Jesus went and healed his servant and marveled at his faith. But he was an enemy, wasn't he? <laughs> those, those soldiers could ask anything of any citizen who was not Roman, even making them carry their things for a mile without any notice. Just drop your stuff, carry it right now. And Jesus still met the need of a centurion. Certainly not his friend, at least not by our standards. And so I'm going to keep it even more real, that I'm going to use myself as an example. Oh yeah, it's about to get real, Nicole. When I was growing up, um, I got picked on a lot, but I got picked on a lot by a very specific group of people. And I want you to know I'm saying this because this is the narrative that's in my mind. This is not truth. This is the narrative in my mind. So I need you to really listen because I know that what I'm saying is going to be very hurtful, but I need you to listen. I was picked on by a lot of African-American students, by a lot of black kids. They would just pick on me all the time at recess. And so over time, that created within me a narrative that said to me, they're my enemy. Because every time I see them, they want to hurt me and pick on me. So I ran away from them. And I had no compassion for them for the longest time in my life. And on top of that, there was other things that have happened between the Asian and the black community. 
You know, if you are of Korean descent, you understand and know because of the Rodney King riots, yeah? And even in that, my parents then taught me as well, further reinforcing that narrative. And again, I want you to know that my parents, they didn't, they didn't know. This is just them trying to survive, right? They told me, be careful. Be careful around people of the black and brown community. Okay, guys? And so for the longest time, this to me was, this is a reality. They're my enemy. They're my enemy. I, I, they're, they they, they want to hurt me. I have to stay away from them. There's no way I would have compassion on them. And you know what? It took me a long time, guys, to realize something. That I had to admit that. Because if I don't admit that that's how I feel, I will never allow the Holy Spirit to come and fix it. And so what I'm asking you to do right now is to honest, be really honest with yourself. Who do you think is the least? And who do you think is your enemy? And I'm not asking you to be PC. Because if you're not real, you won't even know that it's there. And you're going to continue to ignore them and be like, that's not important to me. And so when you see that Ahmaud Arbery is killed, when you see that George Floyd is killed, you can easily be like, oh, I feel sad, but, and then that's it. When you see an elderly Asian woman in New York City getting beaten brutally and two people turn away, you can see that and say, oh, that's sad, but, And I'm saying this to you guys because I understand myself, okay? And I'm saying that this is inside all of us. There is somebody or a group of people that we think are least and not important and our enemy. And this is how racism survives, when we're unwilling to look at ourselves and to admit it. And I'm telling you right now, the love of Jesus is the only thing that can solve that. And when you admit that this is what it is, then the work of God can come into play. And I want, to know, I want you to know, here's the real truth that I found. When I, ever since I came to this church, this is where I learned. I, and I'm not just saying that because I go to this church. It's the, actually the opposite. It's because I saw what was happening in this church that I stayed. Do you, get what, you guys get what I'm saying? I didn't stay and then say, oh, wow, this church is great. I saw what was happening and said, I need to be here. And what I saw was I saw people of different races together. I saw people loving each other that I had not seen anywhere else before. And it made me look at myself and question and say, do I have it right? And so what I'm asking you to do today is to look inside yourself. And, do, and I, I want to tell you the truth. Do you know what the truth is? The truth is that nobody is the least. Do you know what the truth is? The truth is, is that only we think that. The truth is that who you think is the least, Jesus says, that's someone important to me. The truth is that when you see someone that's insignificant, Jesus says, Jesus says that person is, is significant to me. When you see someone who is lowly and least, Jesus says, that's my son and daughter. That they're the same as you, actually. And, the, and here's the even bigger one. Do you not realize that who you think is your enemy is actually not your enemy? I need to say that again because I don't think that you truly understand the weight of that statement. Whoever you think is your enemy is actually not your enemy. There is no person on this earth who is your enemy. There is no person on this earth who is your enemy. Our enemy is not a person. Our enemy is the devil. And our enemy is the lies that he spreads and the evil and the darkness that he entices people with. 
but it's not a person. Because you have to understand theologically, every person is made in the image of God. Whether you want to admit that or not. That is the truth. And I'm not saying that it's easy to see that because sin does cover it. Sin does cover it. It makes it very complicated and it makes it very complex. I'm not trying to take that away. But what I'm trying to say is that deep down inside, all of us struggle with that same thing. All of us have sin that cover that beautiful image of God. But what I'm asking you to do is not to judge someone and look at them based on the sin that covers them, but to look beneath that and see who they truly are, even if they don't know who they truly are, and say, whether you realize it or not, you are made in the image of God. And whether you realize it or not, you are beautiful and precious to Him. Even if you don't act like you are, you are a child of God. You just don't know it. Even the most racist, bigoted, hateful person, that's not who they are at their core. They've just been tricked by the devil and living in darkness, covering the image of God that they are created in. I need you guys to understand this because this is the only way that racism survives. Racism survives when you continually judge people beyond the image of God. Guys, our enemy is not even racist people. They're children of God who have been lied to and led astray, who are deceived and living in darkness. But they're not my enemy. What's the goal then if they're my enemy? To kill them? To destroy them? No. What did Jesus come to do, guys? Easter was last week. What did Jesus come to do? He died for the sins of the world. That person that you look at, who you think is your enemy, Jesus said, I died for that person. Do you realize that? That I shed my blood for that person. And that they are just as worthy of redemption and restoration and life as you. You are exactly the same as them. They're not your enemy. They're actually your brother and sister who are estranged for sure, but they're not your enemy. And so I'm asking you right now in this moment, and I know it's hard, to look in your heart and to say and to be honest and say, who do I think is my enemy and who is the least? And realize in God's eyes, that's nobody. God would never categorize somebody as least, and he would never categorize somebody as his enemy. He only has one enemy, and I already told you who that is. His name's not even worth saying again. So let's move on to the second thing. What do we do? What do we do for these people, for everybody? Because what Jesus has made clear, yeah, guys, is that his love and compassion is for all. So now the question is, what do we do? This is the tricky part, right? Because like I alluded to earlier, do I post online? Do I share? Do I like? Should I say something? Should I not? Should I vote? Should I go to rallies? Should I protest? How involved should I be? I understand, it's, it's, it's complicated, right? I, I, I totally get it. And I want you to know too that I'm actually preaching to myself because there are so many times when I want to do something but I'm not quite sure, right? Like, is this the way, God? Is this right? Is this useful? Is this gonna even do anything? So let's look again at the scriptures because here is where God will speak and tell us what he expects. Do you realize that the people that Jesus was unhappy with, that he was displeased with, what they actually did, they actually did two things. 
He said, you saw me, but you did nothing. What Jesus is upset about is that when you know the good that you ought to do, but you turn away from it. So I want you to know that they knew. So I want you to know Jesus is not expecting us to do something that we're unaware of. He only expects you to be accountable for what you know and accountable for the need that you see. Okay, so first of all, I want to say God's not asking you to, to save the world. <laughs> He's not asking you to change America. He's asking you to be responsible for the need that you see in front of you, for what you know, and don't turn a blind eye to that. So that's the first thing. In James, it says, he who, he who does not do what he knows he ought to sins. It's just about what you know, guys, but what you know, you're immediately accountable for. Okay? But the second thing, I believe that not only is it a need that we see, but it's also a need that the Holy Spirit puts on our heart. And there's another word for that. It's called conviction. When the Holy Spirit puts a conviction on your heart, and you know what's so interesting this morning during shift? I didn't even tell Pastor Chin Wei what I was going to preach about, but she already mentioned it in shift. Isn't, it, isn't that so powerful, our God? He speaks so mightily through us as one voice. She was praying over us moving with the Spirit of God and asking the Spirit of God to put a conviction on our hearts. Guys, I think when we say, I don't know what to do, can I be honest with you? I think most of the time you know. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm being serious. Yeah. When you say, I don't know what to do, it's really more of, I'm not sure I want to do it. Right. Right. I think deep down inside, we know what to do. That time, maybe this is speaking to that person who's like, you know, I really feel called to share my story online, but I don't want to. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's that person who's like, I really want to share this post. It's really important because it spoke to me, but I'm not sure. Maybe it's that person who's like, I really need to speak to my family about this issue, yeah. but I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe it's that person who's saying, you know, I do have a lot of finances, and I've been praying about how, God, you want me to, to, to move in this way, but I'm not sure. I think you know. The Holy Spirit convicts us of specific things. And I want you to know this is not a blanket statement. So all the things that I gave to you are just suggestions, guys. But that's the beauty of our God. To each of you that I'm speaking to, you have been given a very specific sphere of influence, a very specific set of resources, and a very specific spiritual gift and strength that only comes from God. You can only do what you can do. There's no one else who can be where you are. And that's the beauty of it. And so I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now, what are you putting on my heart? What is the burden that you're putting on my heart? And it's specific to you. But when you get it, church, remember what I said earlier, you're accountable and you're responsible to act on it. And so all I'm asking is that whatever the Holy Spirit puts on your heart to do, that you would have the boldness and the courage to do it. If you feel called to go to a rally, go to the rally. If you feel called to go to the protest, go to the protest. If you feel called to go on the streets and just pray for people, then do it. Do what the Lord has put on your heart. But do not do what the people, the goats did, which is they saw and they heard and they turned away. So guys, it's not about what to do. It's about doing what the Lord calls you to do. Ask him and he'll make it known to you. 
You don't have to do everything. It's just what God asks of you. But when he asks you to do it, you're responsible. So I want to wrap this up right now, guys. Can you close your eyes with me? I know I've talked about some really heavy and difficult things. But let's bring this before the Lord right now. I just want you to pray and begin to interact with God and the Holy Spirit. And I know it's hard what I'm asking you to do. But I'm asking you to do it one more time in the presence of God. Would you be honest with God, your Father, and ask for forgiveness and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I saw this person as insignificant. I saw this group of people as insignificant. I saw this issue affecting this population and this, this part of society as insignificant. I'm sorry, Lord, that I saw this person as my enemy. I'm sorry, Lord, that I saw these people as my enemy, that I judged them based on the color of their skin. I judged them based on my past experiences and made a blanket statement about all of them. I'm sorry, Lord, that I called them all my enemy. But Lord, I came here today to be transformed by the love that you have for me and to see them through your eyes, God, to see them the way that you see them, God, because the way that I see them isn't right. To see them with your eyes, God. And I know that with your eyes, the way that you see them, God, is that you love them. You love them because they are your children. And you love them because they are important to you. And that's why you came. That's why you died. Because you died for every one of them. And that I am exactly the same as them. And that in reality, there is no one who is categorized as least. That in the kingdom of God, there is nobody who is categorized as least. And that there is nobody who is categorized as an enemy of God. And that there is only one enemy. And he's not a person. And so, God, I ask for forgiveness. And that I need you, Holy Spirit. I need your love. I need your transformative power and your transformative love to change my heart. Because I do not love the way that I should. And I do not love the way that you do. And only you can help me. And I ask you right now, God, if there is any part of me that has no love and no compassion for a certain person or a group of people, that you would bring that to my attention and that I would lay it at the cross. I would lay it at your feet. I would put it on the altar and say, God, this part of me has to die because it is not of you. And God, would you give me your heart right now and then move me to love them and move me to love them like I've never loved them before. God, I ask for this because this is what will save our nation. This above public policy. This above changing our government. This is what will change our nation from its core. Is the radical love of Jesus and the way that we choose to love one another. God, we need you. We need your love right now. So would you come and convict every heart, including my own, Jesus, because I do not dare stand before you and think that I have mastered this. No, God, even myself, I lay at the feet of Jesus. I lay at your cross. And God, I ask you even to sanctify me right now by your love. Because there are people that I also deem insignificant. And I repent for that, God. And I ask on behalf of myself and this entire church that you would sanctify us right now, God. And that you would forgive us. And that you would start with us first to give us a radical love. That we would never, ever again call anybody insignificant or anyone our enemy. But that we would also do it in our deed. That we will love them. That we will welcome them in. We will welcome them in. Oh, I just got conviction from the Spirit on that one. It's not just about meeting their needs, guys. It's about inviting them into our very own community. About inviting them into our church and saying, I'm not just going to 
keep you afar with an arm distance away. I'm going to say, I'm going to welcome you as a stranger into our church, into our community, and I'm going to say, no, you are not my enemy, but you are my brother and you are my sister. That I will welcome you into this house. I will welcome you into this community. I will pray for your sickness. I will be there for you, and I will visit you when you are alone. I will give you my support and my encouragement, and I will love you beyond your physical needs, but your emotional and your relational needs. This is what Jesus asks of us. And God, we come to you and we say, teach us how. By the power of your spirit, would you teach us how? And because, God, this is important to you. Because this is the marking of a true follower of Jesus. Because whether we want to admit it or not, if we fail to do this, we're not truly followers of you. And we don't know you. And your word is true. And your word says, then those are separated from you. And I'm not trying to guilt you guys, but this is the reality of the scripture. If we truly follow Jesus, let's walk in step with him. Let's pursue his heart and let's love like he loves. God, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come and transform us truly? Let us be a radical group of people who love like this world has never seen before. Because I'll tell you one thing. When you left this earth, Jesus, and you left a group of people led by 12 disciples. They didn't change public policy. They loved radically. And they took a no-name religion, a no-name following after a, after a Christ who was barely known and cared for, and they changed the world. And they brought the gospel to all the corners of the earth. So I've, we've seen it before, God, that your radical love is what changes the world. Would you show us again? Would you show us how your radical love can save our country? We lay it before you, Jesus. Would you teach us how to do it? We want to move with you. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.